Hi, we're here from Curiosity.com to help you get smarter in just a few minutes. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you learn about how to find what you love doing and excel at it with author David Epstein. You'll also learn about why you should always present good news along with bad news. Let's satisfy some curiosity. Yesterday, author David Epstein told us about research into some of the advantages of being a generalist instead of a specialist. He also wrote a whole book about the topic titled Range, Why Generalists Triumph in a Specialized World. Now that you've heard about the benefits of being a generalist, let's find out how to become one. Here's the second half of our interview with David Epstein. So it seems to me like a major takeaway would be if you're a parent, maybe let your kid explore lots of different fields and try that generalization before specializing later. But if I pick up this book and I read it and I I realize, yeah, I'd like to be a generalist, but I'm in my 30s, let's say. Is it too late? Is there anything I can still do? I hope not because I have no idea what I'm going to be when I grow up. Um, I, I was I was totally goal direct as a teenager. I was sure I was going to be a, go to the Air Force Academy, be a test pilot, and then be an astronaut. And of course, I did none of those things. Um, and now I have no idea. Now I do. I actually ended up, and I disclosed this in the book, that I ended up as a subject in 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 a sort of a subject in in this research called the Dark Horse Project at Harvard, where these researchers were studying people who find work that they find fulfilling, and many of them were like very financially successful, but that wasn't a requirement. And the pattern that showed up was they would come in and all say, they typically found this later than than you would expect. And they would come in and say, well, don't tell people to do what I do because I did this other thing first and then I zigged and zagged and I, I kind of came in the side door so I was totally lucky. And so they called it the Dark Horse Project because most of the subjects viewed themselves as a dark horse who comes out of nowhere basically. Well, and then it turned out that that they all sort of thought that and said, don't, don't do what I did because they thought there were exceptions, but that, that turns out to be the norm. And the common trait among those people was like non-adherence to a long-term goal. So what they would do was short-term planning basically was their common trait where they wouldn't look around and say, here's someone younger than me who has more than me. They would say, here's who I am right now. Here are my skills and interests. Here are the opportunities in front of me. Here's one I'll take. And maybe a year from now I'll change because I will have learned something about myself or about the world. And, And it turns out, by the way, that we are not so good at just introspecting about ourselves a priori without having had any experience that our, our reflection on our interests and abilities is informed by actual experience. So you have to try stuff. So these people weren't setting out to say, I'm going to be a generalist. They were taking this approach of responding to things they learned about themselves and the world as they tried things and triangulating their their best, what economists call match quality, the degree of fit between your interests and abilities and the work that you do, which turns out to be tremendously important for your performance and your motivation and all those things. And so it wasn't that they said, we want to be generalists. It was that they took this zigzagging approach that helps you optimize your match quality. And so that, that's, that's the approach I want to take. And that's, that's kind of the approach. I'm a new father. And that's the approach I want to facilitate for my kid, where I will see my role as facilitating a number of opportunities and then being sort of the coach who helps the kid reflect on what they did so they can try to get the maximum learning out of it. So yeah, that, I think that'll be my approach, which, which in range, the military calls talent-based branching. This, this program they've developed that's really helped them develop and retain officers much more than their historical up and out structure is, hey, here's your career path, stick to it. Isn't it refreshing to hear that you can have a future in a field even without being super specialized? I told David that like him, I've also zigged and zagged in my career. And when people ask me how I do what I do, I'm not really sure what to tell them. So when someone asks you, how do I become successful, what should you tell them? Here's what David recommends. The phrase that stuck in my head was Herminia Ibarra, who studies how people try to optimize their their match quality. And what she says, we learn who we are in practice. 
not in theory. And what she means was she was looking at this research that showed that we aren't so good at knowing about ourselves in the world until we've done stuff and reflected on it. And so I would I would become much more systematic about that. So-called self-regulatory learners, people who come to more objectively evaluate their own strengths and weaknesses, spend a lot of time in reflection after they do stuff. So my approach has been just like when I was a grad student, I now have a notebook I call my book of experiments, but I have something that I want to learn, whether it's a skill or an interest I want to explore. I'll set up a little experiment, whether that's doing a little volunteer thing, interviewing someone who works in that field or whatever. I'll say, did I, did I learn something? You know, was it interesting? And so I'm sort of taking a, a science of yourself approach to my own personal experimentation now. And, and I took that away from her work because it resonated with me in, in such a personal way. That's super cool. Are there any other major takeaways you want people to walk away with uh, before they go pick up the book? For this podcast, there's some really cool scientists profiled in it, especially in the last chapter. And especially, I think, science curiosity is a trait profiled in chapter 10. In the last chapter, Oliver Smithies, the great Nobel laureate, one of my favorite, my favorite acronym was N-B-G-B-O-K-F-O, which means <laughs> no bloody good, but okay for Oliver. And his, his colleagues noticed that he would tinker with any old equipment and just spent all of his time playing. And that's how he won the Nobel Prize. So they would just leave their equipment with that label for him and he would goof around with it. And so I think wow. science, people interested in science will enjoy that. So remember to play around and reflect on your experience after you do stuff. Then maybe you too can reap the benefits of being a generalist. Again, that was David Epstein, and his new book is titled Range, Why Generalists Triumph in a Specialized World. We'll put a link to pick it up in today's show notes. You can triumph the next time you're trying to pick out a perfect gift with some help from today's sponsor, Paint Your Life. With PaintYourLife.com, you can get an original painting of yourself, your children, family, a special place, or a cherished pet, all at a price you can afford. I always thought that having a painting of yourself was like for people who live in castles. <laughs> Right. But now there's a beautiful oil painting of my ancestors in my mother's house. And it's super cool. And she doesn't live in a castle. No, she doesn't. She lives in a regular old house. And hey, we don't live in castles either. And if you are looking for a truly meaningful gift, then you've got to try paintyourlife.com. This is a true painting done by hand by a world-class artist created from a favorite photo. You can browse paintyourlife.com and choose the artist whose work you like the most then work with them throughout the process until every detail is exactly the way you want it to be. And there's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money's refunded. You'll end up with a truly special gift for someone you love or for yourself. And right now is a limited time offer. Get 30% off of your painting. That's right, 30% off and free shipping. To get this special offer, text the word CURIOUS to 484848. That's CURIOUS to 484848. Text C-U-R-I-O-U-S to 484848. Message and data rates may apply. Cody, I've got some good news and I've got some bad news. What? Well, which one do you want first? The good news? Okay. The good news is the phrase I just said makes bad news easier to handle. Okay. What's the bad news? Well, the bad news is that I don't actually have any bad news, so I can only demonstrate half of this concept. Ah, well, that's not too bad then. Yeah, it's all good news. So research actually does show that when you've got both positive and negative information for someone, it's better to use that time-tested phrase, I've got good news and I've got bad news, than it is to deliver it all at once. This was confirmed in a 1985 experiment performed by economist Richard Thaler. Cornell University students were asked to decide which character they felt was more upset in two comparative scenarios. In both scenarios, the character's car is damaged in a parking lot. 
In the first scenario, the character spends $200 to repair the damage, but on the same day wins $25 in the office football pool. In the second scenario, the character spends $175 to repair the damage. Even though both characters lost the same amount of money, most of the students thought the second character was more upset. This is explained by a theory that says that people don't weigh alternatives equally, but make decisions based on their fear of loss. Because the first character had a gain with his loss, students perceived his situation as better. In 2008, researchers looked further into this phenomenon and determined that the smaller the positive amount and the larger the negative amount, the more people preferred that the information be presented separately rather than summed together. This idea has implications in a lot of different areas. For example, a 2016 study found that media audiences are happier when a story about a negative event highlights something positive that came out of it. That's a good lesson for news outlets who want to balance the important job of reporting negative news while keeping their readers happy. There are implications for investing in sales, too. For example, in finance, investors wouldn't mind seeing a mutual fund post a quarterly loss if it was also pointed out that portions of the portfolio had posted a gain. In a retail example, a car priced at $20,000 with a $500 rebate is perceived as better than the same car priced at $19,500 without a rebate. It's just like Mary Poppins' sage advice. A spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. Before we recap what we learned today, quick reminder, you can support our show by nominating Curiosity Daily to be a finalist in the 2019 Podcast Awards. You can register at podcastawards.com or find a link in today's show notes. So now let's recap what we learned today. Today, we learned that you can be more successful if you try new things and reflect on your experience afterwards. And that you should deliver a little bit of good news with that bad news you've got for someone. Like the good news is we won a podcast award last year. The bad news is that if we don't win this year, we're still going to call ourselves award winning. So you're not going to save yourself that yeah, annoyance. Yeah, you're not getting out of that one. <laughs> Join us again tomorrow to learn something new in just a few minutes. I'm Ashley Hamer. And I'm Cody Goff. Stay curious. On the Westwood One Podcast Network. 